You are about to enter the world of humble hauntings. But first, a message from our friends at Weird Distractions. Do you often find that you need a distraction from everyday life? Do you like true crime, conspiracy theories, paranormal stories, and other weird, dark tales? Well, tune in and turn up Weird Distractions Podcast, where we, your hosts, Christy and Alex, bring you a weird distraction to help you get through the work week. Every Sunday morning, you can find our show on Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, Good Pods, and more. So, grab a snack, get comfy, and make sure to lock those doors. Need a distraction? We We got got you. And now, for today's story. Oh, hello, Barnaby. Back from another one of your adventures? Ah, a visit to the mortal realm of Earth with your ghostly feline friends. That does sound lovely. Were you hungry? I was just about to grab something to eat myself. Or at least make a cup of tea. You want a story? Well, of course you do. You have been very helpful as of late, and very polite to our guest even though they did step on your tail. No, there's no need to swallow them whole and devour them just yet. We aren't even sure they are truly dangerous. Cursed, I'm almost certain, but not dangerous. Never hurts to be on guard, though. Better to be safe than sorry. Especially around here. No, they seem innocent enough as of now. I sent them off to bed. Can't research properly with tired eyes, after all. Now, what story would you like to hear? A Christmas story. You sure have been favoring human holidays as of late. I suppose we all must have a hobby. Very well. I should have some old ghost stories around here somewhere. Well, of course. Ghost stories are about as Christmas as you can get. At least they were the last time I visited Earth. Ah, Victorian London. Those were quite the days. I must go back to visit sometime. Well, I suppose such traditions might have not withstood the test of time, but we can always bring it back. Here we are, the ghosts of Christmas past. Settle in, little cat. It's time for a grim and ghostly tale. Dr. S's Story by Catherine Crow The first part of the story I am going to relate to you 
said Dr. S., was told to me by an eminent man in my own profession, who had every opportunity of testing the truth of it. The latter part, I give you on my own word. Some years ago, there was a house in the suburbs of Dublin that had remained a long time unoccupied. In consequence, it was said of its evil reputation, the report was that it was haunted. People who had taken it got rid of it as soon as they could, and those who lived in the neighborhood affirmed that they saw lights moving about the interior, and, sometimes, a lady in white standing at the window with a child in her arms, when they knew there was no living creature except rats and mice within the walls. The wise and learned laughed at these rumors, but still the house remained empty and was getting into a very dilapidated state. The former owner of the house was dead. He was a miser, or a misanthrope, or both. At all events, for several years he had lived in it utterly alone, and scarcely ever seen by anybody. It was rumored that for a short time a young female had been occasionally observed by the neighbors, but she disappeared as suddenly as she had appeared, and nobody knew whence she came, nor whither she was gone. His life was a mystery, and whether merely on this account or whether there were better grounds for it, there had certainly existed a prejudice against him. However, as I said, he had been dead some years, and the relative whom the property had fallen on was naturally very anxious to let the house and offered it to any occupant at an extremely low rent. At length, a gentleman who wanted to establish a manufactory, seeing that would answer his purpose, for the premises were extensive, and there was some garden ground behind, took it and erected buildings on this waste ground for his workmen to inhabit. Between the new part and the old, there was a long vestibule, or covered passage, by which they might pass from one to the other without exposing themselves to the weather. A large door, which was open by day and closed at night, divided the passage in two, and on one side, there was a small room or office where a clerk sat and kept books and memoranda of various sorts incident to a considerable business. However, the thing was scarcely set going and established before it reached the ears of the master that the workmen objected to pass the night on the premises, the reason alleged being that they were disturbed and alarmed by various sounds especially footsteps, and the banging of the heavy door in the vestibule, which divided the sleeping places from the workrooms. At first, the objection being thought absurd was not attended to. Next, it was supposed to be a trick of some workmen to frighten the others. But when it became serious, they began to act upon it. And steady, respectable men declared they had heard things 
the master, still persuaded it was some practical jokers amongst them mystifying the more simple, took measures first to ascertain if such sounds as they described were audible, and next to discover who made them. For this purpose, he sat up himself and his clerk sat up, and exactly as had been described at one o'clock, this clatter and banging of doors commenced. That is, there was the sound, for the door remained immovable, and though they heard footsteps, they could see nobody. Still, said the manufacturer, who was not willing to be made a victim of the mischievous conspiracy, we must discover who it is, and we shall, when they are more off their guard. And for this purpose, it was arranged that a relation of his own a young man in whose direction and courage he had great confidence should sleep in the office. Accordingly, a bed was prepared there, and he arranged himself for that night, or as many future nights as it might be necessary, determined not to relinquish the investigation till he had unraveled the mystery. At dawn of day, the next morning, there was a violent knocking at the outer door. An early passenger had found this young man in the street with nothing on but his nightdress and in a state of delirium. He was taken home and Dr. W. was sent for. The result was a brain fever. But when he recovered, he said that he had gone to bed and to sleep, that he was awakened by a loud noise, and that just as he was about to rise to the cause, the door opened and the apparition of a female dressed in white entered and approached his bedside. He remembered no more, but being seized with horror, supposed he had gotten out of the window into the street where he was found. This was certainly very extraordinary and very serious. Still, the persuasion that it was some mystification prevailed and Dr. W.'s offer to pass a night in the office himself was gladly accepted. He had informed me of the young man's illness and the cause of it, and when I heard of his intention, I requested leave to bear him company. The noise had not been interrupted by the catastrophe that had occurred, and nobody had slept in the office during the young man's confinement. The bed had been removed, but we declined having it replaced, for we wished our intention to remain a secret. Besides, we preferred watching through the night. It was not till the workmen had all retired that we took up our position, accompanied by a sharp little terrier of mine, and each armed with a pistol. We took care to go over the house, to make sure that nobody was concealed in it, and we examined every door and window to ascertain that it was secure. We had provided ourselves with refreshments also, to sustain our courage, and we entered upon our vigil with great hopes of detecting the imposition. Dr. W. is a most enlightened and agreeable companion, and soon we fell into a lively discussion that carried us away so entirely that I believe we had both ceased to think of the object of our watch when we were recalled to it by the clock in the vestibule striking one and the loud bang that immediately followed accompanied by the barking of our little dog, who had been aroused from a tranquil sleep by the uproar. W and I seized our pistols 
and rushed to the passage, followed by the terrier. We saw nothing to account for the noise, but we distinctly heard receding footsteps, which we hastened to pursue. At the same time, urging on the dog, but instead of running forward, he slunk behind with his tail between his legs and kept at our heels the whole way. On we went, distinctly hearing the footsteps preceding us along the vestibule, down some steps, and finally down some stairs that led to an unused cellar, in one corner of which lay a heap of rubbish. Here the sound ceased. We removed the rubbish, and under it lay some bones, which we recognized at once as parts of a human skeleton. On further examination, we ascertained that they were the remains of a female and a newborn infant. They were buried, and the men were no more disturbed with these mysterious noises. Who the woman was, was never ascertained, nor was any further light thrown upon these strange circumstances. Hello, MJ McAdams here. Today's tales will continue after a brief message from our sponsors. So stick around. More haunts are waiting for you just around the corner. The Ghost's Summons by Ada Busson Wanted, sir, a patient? It was in the early days of my professional career, when patients were scarce and fees scarcer, and though I was in the act of sitting down to my chop, and had promised myself a glass of steaming punch afterwards in honor of the Christmas season, I hurried instantly into my surgery. I entered briskly, but no sooner did I catch sight of the figure standing, leaning against the counter, than I started back with a strange feeling of horror, which, for the life of me, I could not comprehend. Never shall I forget the ghastliness of that face, the white horror stamped upon every feature, the agony which seemed to sink the very eyes beneath the contracted brows. It was awful to me to behold, accustomed as I was to scenes of terror. You seek advice? I began with some hesitation. No, I am not ill. You require then... Hush, he interrupted, approaching more nearly and dropping his already low murmur to a mere whisper. I believe you are not rich. Would you be willing to earn a thousand pounds? A thousand pounds? His words seem to have burned my very ears. I should be thankful if I could do so honestly, I replied with dignity. What is the service you require of me? A peculiar look of intense horror passed over the white face before me, but the blue-black lips answered firmly, To attend a deathbed. A thousand pounds to attend a deathbed? Where am I to go then? Whose is it? Mine. The voice in which this was said sounded so hollow and distant 
that involuntarily I shrank back. Yours? What nonsense, you are not a dying man. You are pale, but you appear perfectly healthy. You- Hush, he interrupted. I know all this. You cannot be more convinced of my physical health than I am myself. Yet, I know that before the clock tolls the first hour after midnight, I shall be a dead man. But, he shuddered slightly, but stretching out his hand commandingly, motioned me to be silent. I am but too well informed of what I affirm, he said quietly. I have received a mysterious summons from the dead. No mortal aid can avail me. I am as doomed as the wretch on whom the judge has passed sentence. I do not come either to seek your advice or to argue the matter with you, but to simply buy your services. I offer you a thousand pounds to pass the night in my chamber and witness the scene which takes place. The sum may appear to you extravagant, but I have no further need to count the cost of any gratification, and the spectacle you will have to witness is no common sight of horror. The words, strange as they were, were spoken calmly enough, but as the last sentence dropped slowly from the livid lips, an expression of such wild horror again passed over the stranger's face that, in spite of the immense fee, I hesitated to answer. You fear to trust the promise of a dead man? See here and be convinced, he exclaimed eagerly, and the next instant on the counter between us lay a parchment document and the following indication of the white muscular hand. I read the words, And to Mr. Frederick Keed, of 14 High Street, Alton, I bequeath the sum of £1,000 for certain services rendered to me. I have had that will drawn up within the last 24 hours, and I signed it an hour ago in the presence of a competent witness. I am prepared, you see. Now, do you accept my offer, or not? My answer was to walk across the room and take down my hat, and then lock the door of the surgery communicating with the house. It was a dark, icy cold night, and somehow the courage and determination which the sight of my own name in connection with a thousand pounds had given me flagged considerably as I found myself hurried along through the silent darkness by a man whose deathbed I was about to attend. He was grimly silent, but as his hand touched mine, in spite of the frost, it felt like burning coal. On we went, tramp, tramp through the snow, on, on till even I grew weary, and at length on my appalled ear struck the chimes of a church clock. Whilst close at hand, I distinguished the snowy hillocks of a churchyard. Heavens! Was this awful scene of which I was about to be witness to take place veritably among the dead? Eleven, groaned the doomed man. Gracious God, but two hours more, and the ghostly messenger will bring the summons. Come, come for mercy's sake, let us hasten. There was but a short road separating us from a wall which surrounded a large mansion, 
and along this we hastened until we reached a small door. Passing through this, in a few minutes, we were stealthily ascending the private staircase to a splendidly furnished apartment, which left no doubt of the wealth of its owner. All was intensely silent, however, through the house, and about this room in particular there was a stillness that, as I gazed around, struck me as almost ghastly. My companion glanced at the clock on the mantel shelf and sank into a large chair by the side of the fire with a shudder. Only an hour and a half longer, he muttered. Great heaven, I thought I had more fortitude. This horror unmans me. Then, in a fiercer tone, and clutching my arm, he added, Ha! You mock me. You think me mad. But wait till you see. Wait till you see. I put my hand on his wrist, for there was now a fever in his sunken eyes which checked the superstitious chill which had been gathering over me and made me hope that, after all, my first suspicion was correct and that my patient was but the victim of some fearful hallucination. Mock you, I answered soothingly, far from it. I sympathize intensely with you and would do much to aid you. You require sleep. Lie down and leave me to watch. He groaned but rose and began throwing off his clothes and watching my opportunity, I slipped a sleeping powder, which I had managed to put in my pocket before leaving the surgery, into the tumbler of claret that stood between him. The more I saw, the more I felt convinced that it was the nervous system of my patient which required my attention. It was with a sincere satisfaction I saw him drink the wine and then stretch himself on the luxurious bed. Ha! thought I, as the clock struck twelve and instead of a groan, the deep breathing of the sleeper sounded through the room. You won't receive any summons tonight and I may make myself comfortable. Noiselessly, therefore, I replenished the fire, pouring myself out a large glass of wine and drawing the curtains so that the firelight should not disturb the sleeper. I put myself in a position to follow his example. How long I slept, I know not. But suddenly I arose with a start and as ghostly a thrill of horror as ever I remember to have felt in my life. Something, what I knew not, seemed near. Something nameless, but unutterably awful. I gazed around. The fire emitted a faint blue glow, just sufficient to enable me to see that the room was exactly the same as when I fell asleep, but that the long hand of the clock wanted but five minutes of the mysterious hour which was to be the death moment of the summoned man. Was there anything in it, then? Any truth in the strange story he told? The silence was intense. I could not hear a breath from the bed, and I was about to rise and approach when again that awful horror seized me, and at the same moment, my eyes fell upon the mirror opposite the door, and I saw... 
Great heaven, that awful shape, that ghastly mockery of what had been humanity. Was it really a messenger from the buried, quite dead? It stood there in the visible death clothes, but the awful face was ghastly with corruption, and the sunken eyes gleamed forth a green, glassy glare, which seemed a veritable blast from the infernal fires below. To move or utter a sound in that hideous presence was impossible, and like a statue I sat and saw that horrid shape move slowly towards the bed. What was the awful scene enacted there I know not. I heard nothing, except a low, stifled, agonized groan, and I saw the shadow of the ghastly messenger bending over the bed. Whether it was some dreadful but wordless sentence its breathless lips conveyed as it stood there, I know not. But for an instant, the shadow of a claw-like hand from which the third finger was missing appeared extended over the doomed man's head, and then... As the clock struck one clear, silvery stroke, it fell, and a wild shriek rang through the room, a death shriek. I am not given to fainting, but I certainly confess that the next ten minutes of my existence was a cold blank, and even when I did manage to stagger to my feet, I gazed around vainly endeavoring to understand the chilly horror which still possessed me. Thank God, the room was rid of that awful presence. I saw that. So, gulping down some wine, I lighted a wax taper and staggered towards the bed. Ah, how I prayed that, after all, I might have been dreaming and that my own excited imagination had but conjured up some hideous memory of the dissecting room. But one glance was sufficient to answer that. No, the summons had indeed been given and answered. I flashed a light over the dead face, swollen, convulsed still with the death agony, but suddenly I shrank back. Even as I gazed, the expression of the face seemed to change. The blackness faded into a deathly whiteness. The convulsed features relaxed, and, even as if the victim of that dread apparition still lived, a sad, solemn smile stole over the pale lips. I was intensely horrified, but still I retained sufficient self-consciousness to be struck professionally by such a phenomenon. Surely there was something more than supernatural agency in all of this. Again I scrutinized the dead face, and even the throat and chest, but with the exception of a tiny pimple on one temple beneath a cluster of hair, not a mark appeared. To look at the corpse, one would have believed that this man had indeed died by the visitation of God, peacefully whilst sleeping. How long I stood there I know not, but time enough to gather my scattered senses and to reflect that, all things considered, my own position would be very unpleasant if I was found thus unexpectedly in the room of the mysterious dead man. So as noiselessly as I could, I made my way out of the house. 
No one met me on the private staircase. The little door opening into the road was easily unfastened, and thankful indeed was I to feel again the fresh, wintry air as I hurried along the road by the churchyard. There was a magnificent funeral soon in that church, and it was said that the young widow of the buried man was inconsolable, and then rumors got abroad of a horrible apparition which had been seen on the night of the death, and it was whispered the young widow was terrified and insisted upon leaving her splendid mansion. I was too mystified with the whole affair to risk my reputation by saying what I knew, and I should have allowed my share in it to remain forever buried in oblivion. Had I not suddenly heard that the widow, objecting to many of the legacies in the last will of her husband, intended to dispute it on the score of insanity, and then there gradually arose the rumor of his belief in having received a mysterious summons. On this I went to the lawyer and sent a message to the lady that as the last person who had attended her husband, I undertook to prove his sanity, and I besought her to grant me an interview in which I would relate as strange and horrible a story as ear had ever heard. The same evening, I received an invitation to go to the mansion. I was ushered immediately into a splendid room, and there, standing before the fire, was the most dazzlingly beautiful young creature I had ever seen. She was very small, but exquisitely made. Had it not been for the dignity of her carriage, I should have believed her a mere child. With a stately bow, she advanced, but did not speak. I come on a strange and painful errand, I began, and then I started, for I happened to glance full into her eyes, and from them down to the small right hand grasping the chair. The wedding ring was on that hand. I conclude you are the Mr. Keed who requested permission to tell me some absurd ghost story, and whom my late husband mentions here. And as she spoke, she stretched out her left hand towards something. But what I knew not, for my eyes were fixed on that hand. Horror. White and delicate it might be, but it was shaped like a claw, and the third finger was missing. One sentence was enough after that. Madam, all I can tell you is that the ghost who summoned your husband was marked by a singular deformity. The third finger of the left hand was missing, I said sternly, and the next instant I had left that beautiful, sinful presence. That will was never disputed. The next morning, too, I received a check for a thousand pounds, and the next news I heard of the widow was that she had herself seen that awful apparition and had left the mansion immediately. Well, that certainly brought back old memories. What did you think, Barnaby? I'm thrilled to hear it. 
I do enjoy our quality time, you know, especially amongst these glorious books. Yes, we do make quite the team, don't we? How about a late night snack? It would be a wonderful night for a stroll as well. The city streets of London sound very fitting right about now. There might even still be some nice pigeons about for you to hunt. Ah, yes, and soup. We should definitely grab some soup. Let's get going, Barnaby. Morning will return much too soon. And I suspect we are only beginning to realize what we've gotten ourselves into. Let's go find a bit more of that Earth Christmas cheer. for joining us today at Humble Hauntings. If you enjoyed today's tale, then feel free to leave a review and subscribe to our show. Don't forget to share with friends and family as well, because after all, when it comes to exploring the unknown, the more, the scarier. And remember, my spookables, home is where the haunt is. <laughs>